Next up on Visual Wow. We hit uh, photography business and ultimately how to create freedom and flexibility as business owners because the last thing that we need as business owners is at the end of the week to realize we had no time to do anything else other than work. We, we do spend quite a bit of time talking about how to create efficient businesses, photography businesses, so that we can enjoy that freedom and that flexibility. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Visual Wow. The podcast for people passionate about live events. We're obsessed with creating and capturing those wow moments. This is the place the top pros come to share their secrets. Now, here's your host, Jack Hartsman. Welcome back, Visual Community. I'm Jack Hartsman, your host, and I am very happy to have Nathan Holwitz today on the broadcast, a fellow podcaster from the Boca Podcast, something that uh, I have listened to many times. And for the photographers on our show, I am sure you have as well. Nathan, welcome to the show. Man, I'm stoked to be here. I was telling you before we get started, I'm, I'm normally the one interviewing, so it's fun to be on the other side. Well, and even though I can carry on a conversation uh, with just about anybody about just about anything, uh, talking to somebody who's uh, somewhere about 400 episodes ahead of me in the uh, podcast world is a bit intimidating. So cards on the table, my knees are a little bit knocking. And if it's not them, it might be my jaw that's knocking. <laughs> Man, it's at the end of the day, it's just conversation. Um, at least that's what I kind of try to tell myself and my guests as well. And I'm still, I'm still working at it. I, in some ways, I feel like a newbie. It's an interesting thing that you and I are both doing, and I'll even throw Ben Hartley into the equation because he's another photographer podcast that um, six figure photographer uh, podcast that I, I really enjoy being a part of. And as we were just talking offline, one of the things that I really appreciate about what we're all doing is that it's very unselfish. It's really for our community. It's for the photographers. It's for the photographic community. And our approaches, as similar as they may be, are extremely different. And I, we, we've even shared guests, you and I, and, and you and Ben. And it's just very interesting to see how what, what people are, are, are explaining to us or telling us about their lives uh, on our shows. Yeah, it's true. And and yet, you know, however many guests we might have had on our shows, at the end of the day, the struggles, the problems that we have to solve are, are quite similar. They just have a bit of nuance to them from person to person. But um, I think that there's opportunity because of that for us to learn, even if it's something small, from every single conversation, especially if we keep an open, curious mind. Well, my mentor, Doug Sandler from turnkeypodcast.com and, and a former business partner of mine, he was a bar mitzvah DJ for 20 years before he got into podcasting. He always told me to approach every, uh, every broadcast, every conversation and interview with childlike opinions and attitudes. Everything is fresh. Everything is new. And if you don't taste it, you're not going to like it or you're not going to know that you don't like it. And I would have to agree with that because, and part of, part of, I think what makes listening to a podcast enjoyable is when the host and ideally the guest as well, carry a certain level of energy and excitement, and enthusiasm, and it translates in their voice. Um, I've, I've listened to countless podcasts over the years. And anytime you log on to a show and you hear monotone, um, I'm well, at least for me anyway, I tend to just kind of sign off almost immediately or put it on like one and a half speed to get through it as quickly as I can. Well, now I'll, uh, by the way, my daughter taught me that trick. She says, dad, when I want to listen to one of your episodes, I, I usually listen to most podcasts at 1.2. And when I listen to your podcast, I listen on 2.0 cause I'm really tired of hearing you talk. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, that was a really nice thing to say. But, um, 
You know, it's a, it's an interesting thing that as, as we've been uh, all had our lives very disrupted by this little global pandemic thing, um, I found myself preparing for launching the visual wow podcast and doing my homework by listening to other podcasts, uh, like from guys like you. So I'm in a unique position right now that I'm about to ask you some of the questions that when I'm, when I'm out with my other photographer friends and we're riding bikes on the CNO canal outside of Washington, DC, um, we're out for a couple of hours and I'm listening to the Boca podcast. I'm like, God, I wonder what, how he does that, or why did he do this? So for the Boca podcast listeners, um, Maybe I can answer some of the questions you've been thinking about, about Nathan, uh, besides the fact that we know that he's passionate about family and motorcycles, um, uh, motorcycles, another passion of mine as well. But tell me how, when were you a photographer? When did you make the progression into uh, the podcast world and, and how that has kind of played out with your other you know, side businesses or, or formal businesses, shall we say? I started in photography in 2001. I shot my first wedding then and then shot hundreds of weddings through until about 2012. 2008, I started Photographer's Edit, um, post-production or editing company that I own and now I have two partners with. And um, so we've been in business now for about 12 years. I started the podcast in 2016 as really a means of kind of reconnecting with the industry. I'd gotten out of touch with the industry and didn't like the feeling of that. And so I wanted to reconnect with the industry, have conversation. And so it was, it was kind of a selfish means to an end in that, that sense. But it also ultimately has allowed me to be able to try to add as much value as possible to the industry. And, um, and then, of course, have the opportunity to talk a little bit about Photographer's Edit as well. Well, from what I've seen from Photographer's Edit, it's, it's, I'm a production guy. I, I come from a darkroom background. Uh, I know darkroom is a word that most millennials don't even understand. But when I started in this business in the in the early 80s, uh, I, I started because I was a color printer at a, at a custom lab. And a couple of the local area professional photographers were coming in and they had to have 8x10s and 10x10s printed in like 10, 10 minutes an hour, two hours, whatever it might be. And they could care less what rush charges we put on it. And I couldn't figure out how much money must they be charging for their pictures on a retail level in order to pay my prices. Anyway, I got into the whole wedding thing and, and that's how I learned about wedding photography and, and how I started studying with my mentors. But I always had a dark room in my, in my studio, which is something that most photographers, you know, never thought about. So where did your production background come from to even have a whole company that's now built around production? That's an interesting question. I, I actually never had the opportunity to process any film in a dark room. So I don't have that background. I did shoot film for years, medium format and 35 millimeter both and um, enjoyed that and still occasionally like to go back and pull out my, my Yashica twin lens and, and shoot a portrait or two. But the, the desire to create an editing company really stemmed from personal pain as a wedding photographer, having to do post-production for you know, 30, 40 weddings a year. Uh, it was just kind of a nightmare of an idea to me. It took away from time with my family. And um, I, at the time, I just saw an opportunity in the industry. There were only two or three other companies that were actively promoting the service. They had wait lists and they were you know, essentially trying to run their business out of their garage. And so I said, well, let's try to create something that, first of all, is, is simpler, easier to use than these other companies. The one in particular that was kind of our primary competition. And let's make it scalable. 
more widely available to a larger number of photographers at, at scale and at a price point that was affordable to them. And um, so Photographer's Edit was born in 2008 and probably took about a year and a half to two years to kind of really get it off the ground and, and refine our workflow to at least a halfway decent point. Um, but it, it's, it comes from just very simply a desire to relieve my own pain. And then I saw an opportunity to do the same for other photographers. And ultimately, yeah, we're, we're offering post-production services, but just like I wanted my life back, uh, we had the opportunity to help other photographers have a bit of a life outside of their computer as well. One of the most common questions that has crossed my entire career, which I, is approaching four decades, is the balance of the photographer between life, family, and business. Now, the business and the family, it's all pretty self-explanatory, but the life, how do we want to actually live our life. And when you do the opens on your podcast, I just love how soothing your voice is and how sincerely you're saying, Hey, this is about relationships. This is about our families. It's, it's just beautiful. So when I listen to you say that on the one hand, and then talk about what photographers edit does in trying to simplify people's lives, that, that same question has been across all the years I've been in this business is how do we balance our left brain and our right brain between the artist who wants to take the pictures and, and is so good at talking to the customer and selling the customer. But as soon as that process, as soon as that job is shot, we we fall apart because we either don't do production and detail oriented stuff very well, or we don't deliver it on time or, or whatever. And, and you've come up with a methodology to help photographers focus on what's important to them, shooting, talking to their customers, and you're taking care of the back office work. I commend you for it. Photographers edit just seems like it really, it's all, it's all together, a really great product. Thank you. That, that means a lot. And, and I mean, ultimately is, is it might sound, you know, like a, like a sales pitch of some kind, but truly if I hadn't started a company that came from, or that stemmed from a personal, well, certainly my background, personal experience, but then a personal desire to create that freedom, uh, running, running this company wouldn't have the same kind of meaning and numbers are great, but if we're not somehow making a difference in individuals' lives, then it's just, it doesn't feel right to me. And so it's, it's great to see, you know, to have seen the growth that we've had over the years and to work with thousands of photographers and process millions and millions of images, but to hear from individual photographers, Hey, you gave me my life back or you gave me my wife back. You know, my wife was sitting in front of the computer for endless hours late at night, and now I can actually spend time with her. Hearing those kinds of comments back are, are most meaningful and I, it, it just makes running the company that much more, I guess, meaningful in the end. Well, I, I would ask you this question. Um, you know, one of the reasons that Visual Wow came to pass is we're trying to, to shine some optimism back into the, the two passions my wife and I have. We, we've been working together for 30 years um, in the special events, live events arena, as well as in the photography arena. And, and the, the one thing that COVID did besides completely personally knock me on my, on my rear end for, for March and April and, and really uh, beginning of May, I wasn't good at being bored. And, and on the one hand, I, I always, I, I use the statement, I, I feel like I was sitting in mud with my feet in quicksand. <laughs> I was going nowhere and something was pulling me down even, even further but I did find that the quality time I had with my wife and my daughter who lives with me here in my house, um, 
the family time, uh, the patio time to be able to cook meals outside and, and eat together. The weather's been great uh, through COVID. It's, it's really been nice to bring our family together. How has COVID affected your life? How did you make that turn? What did it do to photographers edit? How are you adjusting? We're, we're obviously realizing this is not going to go away in two weeks. Uh, we're seven months in. What, what's your feeling about that? If I'm honest, in, in many ways, my life didn't change a whole lot. Um, I'm lucky enough that the business model is such and and my my wonderful team is in place so that uh, I don't have to put insane hours in every week. Um, and and that was very intentional to begin with. When I created photographers edit, the first two or three years were pretty crazy, but I got to a point where I could work as little as you know four or five hours a week. Um, I've bumped that number up a little bit, but I still have a lot of freedom and flexibility. So when we did see a massive drop off at our business, it it didn't necessarily change the amount of time that I was spending in the business. And in fact, in some ways, it actually freed me up to spend even more time producing podcasts because I thought, you know what? First of all, the last thing that photographers need is to hear me trying to sell them editing services when they're not shooting and they're trying to save cash. So what do I need to do right now? I need to focus on adding as much value as we possibly can. And so we did that. And within the span of probably three months or so, I think we did between 80 and 100 episodes from about March until uh, June. And it was just the focus was on how can we create as much content as possible that will in some way add value to the photography industry. You know, at some point, I know that this is going to some way come back to benefit us, whether it's just a, a simple message saying thank you. Or, you know, via this content, somebody's going to hear about Photographer's Edit, and that may play a role in the future in kind of bringing the Photographer's Edit numbers back up. But that really, the biggest shift probably was, was that, that it freed me up to focus even more on producing valuable content through the podcast. It, it does. Whatever you're doing, I just want to share with you as a veteran photographer who I, I might, uh, for those who know me, and you're all smiling right now, I might have a bit of an arrogant chip on my shoulder because I've been doing this so long and it's really hard to teach me new tricks. Self, self-admitted, my cards on the table, you know, know, know that there's a problem is half the battle. But you had, you were mentioning your, uh, your, your Shikamat 124. And I, I heard an episode, I guess that's where you drew it from. The, um, a few weeks ago, you had a, a guest on your show who was talking about how she's shooting uh, film. And oh my goodness, if that didn't inspire me to break out my cameras again, because I have a, a whole case that's in my, uh, in my photos, in my studio yeah. that has my Hasselblads and my Mamiya C330s. And I yearn for my photography days. And there are very few opportunities. Um, like if I do a job where I'm photographing black light, I break out my cameras, uh, my film cameras, because digital photography and black light are a bad combination. But gosh, the way you just talked about breaking out the twin lens and talking about film again in that episode, it truly inspired me to pull out my cameras. And I kid you not, all those cameras are now sitting on my dining room table being dusted off because sometime in the coming week or so, I, uh, I am going to go out and shoot film again. I just think it's a great, I guess what I'm saying is that um, podcaster to podcaster, I don't want you to ever think that you're not giving enough content out when you can take an old dog like me and tell me to go break out my cameras again. It really, really meant a lot to me. I was, I was borderline double motivated to go and talk to my wife about getting the cameras out again. Oh, that's really fun. So like, what will, what would be the first thing that you go shoot with those cameras? So I'm a classically trained portrait photographer. I came through the Monty Zucker school of photography yeah. and, and we were raised on the Hasselblad square images, Mamiya C330s. 
and, uh, and Hasselblads. And I have all my cameras. I mean, I have all my bodies and every lens known to man in that department, uh, super wide C. And the first thing that would come to my mind in the fall season here, I live in the Northeast is breaking out the super wide C to do, which is a, a 38 millimeter lens or the net equivalent in a digital camera would be probably like somewhere between 22 and 25 millimeters on a full frame camera. It just it had a unique perspective that it didn't bend the edges the way you, you could really learn how to shoot it properly without distortion. And it had a, a bubble level on it so that your camera would be level when you shot. And, and if you shot it properly, it, it just captured images in such a spectacular way. Some of the most famous wide angle Hasselblad pictures of a generation were taken with the super wide C. It's a beautiful, beautiful camera too. I'm, I'm actually, I pulled up a picture as you were talking about it, just to have a, a point of reference. It's stunning. Yeah. It's, it's a short little, it's a, in today's world, you know, most young photographers would say, Hey, it looks like a pancake. Uh, it's a really short camera body. The film was right up against the, the back plane of the camera. And then you have this teeny little lens in the front with a little eye level viewfinder, but the camera that I really miss um, or the lens that I really miss using is just on a typical old style 501 or 500 series uh, Hasselblad camera with a 120 millimeter lens. Yep. It was the perfect portrait lens. And uh, my brain still thinks as a square photographer, some of my colleagues that work with me, we all came up in the film world. Uh, some of them still shoot like a square photographer. I have weaned myself into vertical and horizontal mode, but they'll shoot a, a, a regular DSLR and they'll come back with what we call in our business bullseye pictures pictures that are shot square, but on a rectangular format. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, but I mean, the Hasselblad just opens up such a, there's a different perspective in the world. The human eye sees square. Stop and think about that for a second. Cause you may never heard that before. The human eye, when we look forward, if you just look out your window or you look at the wall or look at the person next to you and don't move your eyes. But if you just look straight forward and you could draw an imaginary box around your vision. It's square. There's a left corner, a right corner, and it doesn't go wide like a, a two by three format. It's a one by one. It's a square picture. And when you learn photography that way, you learn to encapsulate not cutting off the floor or cutting off the sides in a vertical or a horizontal. So I'm really, really looking forward to going back and shooting film in the, in the coming, actually, probably, probably the first part of next week. I have a couple of free days and I just want you to know it's totally inspired by your episode on Boca podcast. Oh, that's really cool. Well, I I'm curious if you, I mean, with your fascination with the film cameras, have you ever photographed with a panoramic camera before? So there are a few cameras I have not photographed with in my profession and I own most of them. And if you want to count all the money that I probably should never have spent on so many different things, cameras would certainly be at the top of that list. Um, I, I probably have four different panoramic cameras from my Fuji panoramic to uh, uh, a Fuji digital panoramic, a Fuji film panoramic. Um, Oh my goodness. I can't even remember some of the names of them, but yeah, I, I've shot lots of panoramic cameras and um, 
they're really cool. If you're into school photography, if you're into, well, we photograph a lot of things in front of the steps of the Capitol. So, um, you have that 500 people on a set of staircases and shooting a panoramic camera is the proper way to do it. But in today's digital world, you can also, if you know how to use your camera properly, shoot an exceptionally good picture with three shots and stitch it together faster than the, than the, than the, uh, panoramic camera could have taken the picture and you have a better quality image to boot, which sad, but true. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But I think when it, like when you, you talk about shooting in that square format, which is really fascinating. I had never thought about the fact that I'm, essentially seeing in square uh really interesting perspective but when you're i never gonna shooting, forget you're never gonna forget that you're never gonna forget <laughs> that. it's true it's true but with when i was shooting with my yashica camera and anytime i had the opportunity to pick it up now of course everything being fully manual the manual focus setting shutter speed aperture and not only that of course looking through the square format and because of the way the mirrors are set up i'm having to move opposite the direction that I think I should be moving in order to frame the image. Um, that, that difference in experience and the perspective is a big part of what makes using that camera so fascinating. And I have a, a Russian panoramic camera. It's a, it shoots 35 millimeter film. It's called a Horizon. And it has a swing lens uh, or a swing lens on it that sounds like a toy if you, if you set it to a slower shutter speed. And shooting through that as well, largely because of that unique perspective, uh, was just super fun. I, I would actually photograph my wedding clients with it. Um, but that's, I guess, where that, that fascination with either of these formats comes from, for me, is the, the difference in perspective, taking me outside of my comfort zone, certainly through the manual process, but the difference in perspective and forcing me to look at something a little bit different versus this kind of spray and pray approach with you know, a digital camera. It's so easy to do. If you grew up in the film business, um, I'm going to pay homage to a couple of my mentors for a moment, and I'm going to try not to throw my 29-year-old son under the bus. Um, I I was mentored by two great people uh, on two opposite sides of the photographic arena. One is by Monty Zucker as a portrait artist and a wedding photographer, and the other is by a guy named Phil Lear, who was 15 or 20 years Monty's senior And Phil, to most people on the East Coast, or if you knew him from the trade show circuit in the lab business, he was a a manufacturer's rep for Bessler darkroom equipment. He was also one of the pioneers of the Topcon camera back in the 50s and 60s. But these two guys taught me the profession of photography while I was learning the art of photography. And most people learn the art of photography and figure out how to make it a profession. So as an example, with your Yashigamat 124, which is the same basic format as my Mamiya C330, I never learned how to use the waist level finder. I got into it with an eye level finder because I was taught how to use it in the wedding business right out of the gate. So I still held it up to my eye and I still saw everything right side up. Even the Hasselblad's Though I couldn't afford the eye level finder when I first bought my camera, I I only used the waist level finder for a very, very short amount of time because it drove me crazy. There's no way to make, well, for me, I I couldn't figure out how to shoot fast enough to make money with the eye level finder. So I used, uh, or excuse me, the waist level finder. So I used the eye level finder and, and Phil taught me about, about gear and about buying gear that you need versus gear that you want. And that just because the other guy makes money with that, that sparkly little thing over there doesn't mean that when you buy that, you're going to make money with that same piece of gear. 
I say that because my son, just shy of 30 years old, when he was in high school, I was in my Canon, probably, uh, probably the 10 D in that time, 90. Yeah. Probably just coming out of the first generation of digital cameras into the Canon 10 D or 20 D. And I had an Epson 4,800 printer in our studio. And so my son in like 10th grade was learning digital cameras. And then when he went to high school and I demanded that he took high school photography, which is where I learned photography without throwing him under the bus, he did not succeed well in high school photography, nor in college photography, because he could not wrap his head around processing film in a, in a reel in a tank. It was stupid because he knew how to use things in the digital world and he was using Photoshop a decade before most people his age. Hmm. And so, yeah, you run into these problems depending on how you were raised. Like you were talking about in one of your episodes, um, the woman with the, with the film cameras that she's going out and shooting 120 film. Well, film used to cost you six or $10 a roll and the processing was another 10 to 15. And so you had basically, if you did the math and you did this on a volume, every click of your camera cost you $1 film and processing and printing. Yep. And so in our world, we shot square, which was 24 pictures to a roll. And you went to a job with 20 rolls of film. And then you always had one extra pro pack, which is five rolls. So you went with four pro packs and you always had an extra one in your case. And four rolls was 480 pictures. And then when you were done editing those pictures, you usually had about, you know, 350, 360 to deliver to your customer. Well, when you think that way that every click of your camera is a dollar and it's coming out of your pocket, well, when I started shooting digital photography, my 480 almost overnight became like 650 and then 850. And all of a sudden I found myself shooting 1200 images and I'm saying to myself, oh my God, all the money I'm saving in film, I'm losing in editing time. So I think for those who are looking for things to do in with all this extra time, many of us have a downtime because of the pandemic. One of the things that I would encourage people to do is start really thinking about the fact that if you had to click the camera and pay $1 for every click of your camera, watch how more efficient of a photographer you become. Watch how less time you much, how much less time you spend on editing or culling your pictures. And you can spend more time with photographers edit or on your own doing color correction and doing the things that make you passionate about the finished product. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's easy though. I think, I mean, you, you mentioned that photographers kind of get into the industry in different ways, whether they're focusing in the art first or the business first. Fortunately, it doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. You can do both, but um, I think many photographers, myself included, when they first got into the industry and potentially for you know years after, were thinking primarily about the so-called art. You're thinking about the photographic process, the gear that they were getting to buy, and not so much about the numbers and how they actually translated to running a successful business. And um, I, I, unfortunately, had a very similar approach and as a result, suffered pretty significantly. I had a, had a really great business, but the numbers suffered because I wasn't proactive and managing the numbers proactively, looking at the data and making intelligent decisions about my business, the very way that you're just describing, you know, considering how much each individual image is going to cost me in the end, the time cost uh, in particular. 
that's just not something that I think most photographers consider. So I think it's it's great that you bring this up because we all need constantly need the reminder that that at the end of the day, if we're going to run a successful business, data is king, numbers are king. We have to pay attention to them. If we do that proactively, then on the other side of that, we still have the freedom, the flexibility to to focus on the art uh, as really as much as we want to, and in some cases even more because we've done the the, the work with the numbers ahead of time. I, I think that you know it comes back to what we talked about earlier is that you know age and years in this business, there are so many things that are different, but there are so many things that are the same. And, and if you're not paying attention to your bottom line, then your, then your life as an artist is going to be finite. At the end of the day, um, I remember something that I was taught at a very young age by, by Monty Zucker. He would say, why are you here? Why are you coming to my class? Why are you investing money in my, lear- in my teachings? He said, are you here for green ribbons or for blue. And whether there was five people in the class or he was talking to WPPI with 5,000 people in the room, the level of perplexness on people's faces, well, what the hell is he talking about? So without being able to get some feedback from our listening audiences, I'll give you the answer in an audible way. Green ribbons are the things that you pay your bills with. They're things that enable you to smile. And blue ribbons are the things that you go, ooh, 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 look at me, look at me, I got first place. Well, if you focus on the green, you're going to figure out that the blues come along with the game if you've done your job right. If you focus on the blue ribbons only, you're going to find yourself with a whole lot of blue ribbons and not able to pay your bills. And we are gifted as photographers and probably one of the greatest professions in the world where we don't have to go to an office every day. We get to bring happiness to people, uh, different people in every opportunity, as well as to ourselves. We create magical art that stands the test of time. And we want to be able to do those things and still be able to afford the nice things in life that our clients have. We have to focus on the bottom line. So we have to keep our lab costs under control. We have to keep our equipment costs under control so that we can keep doing this great profession that we've all been blessed to be able to do. 100%. I think you summed it up beautifully. Um, Nathan, tell the world, tell the world about Boca Podcast, how to get a hold of you, what your social channels are looking like before we wrap this up. Yeah. If, for anybody listening in, if you just simply go to Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast.com, we've got over 400 and uh, well over 400 episodes published at this point and recorded well over 450. There's a lot of content coming out, usually two episodes a week. We hit uh, photography business and ultimately how to create freedom and flexibility as business owners, because um, you know, to the very conversation that we were just having, it's it, the last thing that we need as business owners is at the end of the week to realize we had no time to do anything else other than work. It seems to kind of defeat the purpose of being our own boss. So we, we do spend quite a bit of time talking about how to create efficient businesses, photography businesses, so that we can enjoy that freedom and that flexibility. But Boca, B-O-K-E-H podcast, that's where we are on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter bocapodcast.com and, and you can search that name on pretty much any podcast player out there and you'll find us as well. I'm not letting you get away just yet. I just like giving people their credits while people are still listening. And if you're a photographer, I'm hoping that you're still listening to this because uh, there's a lot of great content being talked about right now. And I, again, Nathan, thank you for the time. I, I really do appreciate it. I want to talk about Milu because this is where I really feel like the purpose of Visual Wow began 25 years ago, 
at 25 years ago as a a vehicle for professional photographers to deliver their finished images to end user clients. That's how Visual Wow began in 1995 when the world was still using 33 and 56.56.6 dial-up modems. We created this thing called a web site, really revolutionary at the time. <laughs> but as I look at as I look at your other business, Milu. Uh, you look like you're doing the same kind of a thing on a much more modern scale. And um, I know Photographer's Ed has got a real big personality and a, a lot of people following it. And I totally understand what that's about. Tell the audience more about Milu. Well, as a wedding photographer, I know, and, and I stopped shooting actively in 2012. Sadly, even now, I know that most wedding photographers have to deal with a very tedious inefficient communication process between themselves, wedding coordinators, their clients, and potentially other vendors involved on a wedding day or just any event that they're photographing. Trying to figure out what the schedule is, trying to establish a shot list. And so we've created a platform very simply that consolidates that whole process into one little app, an iPhone app. Uh, And of course, it also has a web interface. And this enables the photographer to more efficiently manage the timelines and shot lists associated with the events that they're photographing. Now, does this, is there a way there to connect the digital images as well, or is it just the time schedule part of it? Right now it's, it's about the shot list and the schedule. Uh, the, the long-term goal is to incorporate a gallery and uh, you know, we've been talking about wedding or my, my past as a wedding photographer, I'm actually getting ready to um, on a small scale, start a, a photography, a wedding photography business back up. Um, for a number of reasons, um, a couple of which are to prove some of the concepts that I've been discussing through the podcast and be able to kind of share on that experience with our listeners. But then one of the other reasons is to personally and actively use Milu myself to demonstrate how to use the platform um, and and as a result, of course, be able to share about that and, and build the following. So um, right now, we are focused on the timeline and shot list is very specific because there's really no other platform out there that effectively offers this type of service in such a simple format. And uh, eventually, we want to incorporate a, a gallery into that process. So it is kind of a one-stop shot for the photographer. Now, is the, uh, is the application just iPhone or is an Android, you got an Android interface as well? Currently, it's iPhone. Uh, and, and certainly, the plans for the long term are to, to be dual platform. But we're, we're literally, this is a brand, brand new project and COVID slowed it down even further. So right now we're focused on iPhone and, um, and the goal is to then eventually release the Android platform as well. That's cool. Keep me in the loop on that. I, I, would, uh, I would be uh, happy to beta test it or, or just try it out myself. I'm a big advocate for the communication between vendors. Unfortunately, the Baltimore, Washington area that I work in, um, we are inundated with uh, very experienced very territorial party planners and meeting organizers. Right. Um, and when they put out a time schedule, um, whether they're one year in the business or 21 years in the business, far be it from me, the photographer who might actually know what I'm talking about when it comes to a time schedule to ever question a party planner. And if any of my party planners are listening, I don't mean you. <laughs> but that's but that said, Milu sounds like a great product. 
Um, if you're working, especially without a party planner, or, or maybe even with someone who's, who's understanding that we go into these events, weddings, bar and bat mitzvahs as a team. And if all the vendors aren't on the same page, we all look bad. And so I commend you for what you're doing with me, Lou. And, and um, it, it really looks like a great, I'm not an iPhone guy, but when you get to, when you get to the Android platform, I'd, I'd certainly love to see what, uh, give it, give it a whirl with some of my clients. Hundred percent. Well, you know, you point out something that is key about this this application, and that is the collaboration factor. Um, relationships, really, uh, you know, despite the technology that we have now and and this time that we live in in twenty twenty, relationships are still at the root of pretty much everything that we do in one form or another. Um, you, you talked earlier about Monty's question: Why are you doing what you're doing? And and for me, time and relationships are what all my businesses center around. I want to save people time and I want to encourage relationships. And so Milu specifically is about saving time that the inefficiency of communicating about shot, shot lists and timelines via you know, Google docs and word docs and, and uh, emails and text messages and, and Facebook messenger. I mean, it's just, it's a, an absolute mess. So we've simplified that to help photographers and event professionals save time, but then we also want to encourage that collaboration, the relationships. And so for each event in Milu, there's a section called collab or collaboration. And this enables all those event professionals involved in that particular event to communicate about this particular event, to keep up to date on the shot list and the timeline associated with that event. And that's really a big focus of the app. Okay, so the ten thousand dollar question. I told you that I listen to you when I'm uh, when I'm riding my bike, and there's all those questions that I always want to ask the the host, and I'm going to ask you. Right, what the heck does Milu stand for? <laughs> so I grew up in Japan, and um, in Japanese, the word miru, you roll the R, kind of like Spanish. Miru means to see, and Milu is about perspective, kind of a big picture perspective in managing an event, and so that's where the name comes from. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Uh, you take photography and you take a photographer who grew up in Japan and you end up with Milu. That's a great story. <laughs> um, Nathan, it's been a true honor. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. I hope we get to do this again. Um, I, I just absolutely commend you so much for what you have seen in your personal life and you have... Uh, been able to develop it in your business life and share it with others on how important the balance between business and family is. And that as photographers, we tend to never turn off. We work 24 seven. We are, our families go by the wayside and, um, and it shouldn't be that way. I missed a lot of my kids, uh, formative years growing up because I was so invested in my business. And now that I have them working in the business, um, they have come a long way to understanding what dad was doing, but that's not an excuse or any way to make up for the lost time. So I really give you a lot of props for um, how you've strived for that, um, that balance in your life and with your businesses and how you continue to, to help others get to that same place. Thank you. That's very kind. And, and again, it's a privilege to be on the show. Going to be the, on the other side of the mic. Thanks so much for having me on. You're very welcome. Ladies and gentlemen, visitor, uh, visual wow community. This was really special for me. Uh, he's only 400 episodes ahead of me, give or take 10 or 20. Uh, that's not intimidating. And, uh, and it's been great to have you on the show, Nathan. Thank you very much. I'm Jack Hartsman, your host, and we're done. 
Thanks for listening to Visual Wow. If you like what you heard, like us on Facebook, Twitter, and tell your friends. Go to visualwow.com for more info. If you didn't like what you heard, just keep it to yourself. Know a pro we should be talking to on the show? Drop us a line. Talk with you next time on Visual Wow.